Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is the HPP Podcast Editor, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with our editorial board members, we hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. Today, I'm joined by Leanna Schreiber, primary author of technical assistance from public health practitioners to small food retailers to implement minimum stocking standards, and Alex Groton, implementer of the project. And they're going to help us explore this pilot intervention in which public health practitioners provided technical assistance to managers and owners of small food retail stores in Minnesota in order to increase healthy options through a variety of strategies, including minimum stocking standards. But before we get started, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and have them share where they're calling in from. So Leanna, will you get us started? Yeah, thanks Arden. Hi everyone. My name is Leanna Schreiber and I work as a research scientist for the Minnesota Department of Health, which physically sits on the traditional homelands of the Dakota people. I'm trained in both public health and I'm a registered dietitian. I've been at the health department for almost seven years in my current role. And one of my roles as a research scientist is that I have the opportunity to work with local public health agencies to assist them in developing and assessing projects that aim to increase the access and affordability of healthy foods and beverages across Minnesota. And one of these projects that we'll be talking more about today was a project called Good Food Sold Here, where Minnesota Department of Health worked with 11 local public health agencies to design, implement, and evaluate the role of technical assistance plays to implement minimum stocking standards, which includes thinking about product procurement, placement, and promotion with small food retail stores. And I'm Alex Groton, the Health Promotion Supervisor for Dakota County Public Health in West St. Paul, Minnesota. I have a background similar to Leanna's. I'm also trained in the public health space in addition to being a registered dietitian. And I started at Dakota County about six years ago as the health promotion specialist with a colleague who was working directly with corner stores to understand and support their goals of bringing healthier foods to their neighborhoods. Our unit supports policy system and environmental changes for health promotion efforts related to chronic disease reduction. Good Food Sold Here was a perfect example of system and environment changes to increase healthy access in neighborhoods with less ability to obtain healthy foods. Excellent. And I'm so excited to have you both here with your in-depth knowledge of the academic side of eating and food and resources, and then also connecting with this community side. So I'm super excited to learn more about this program. But for those of us who haven't read the paper yet, can you give us a brief summary of the paper? Yeah, thank you, Arden. So first of all, I want to say that the project was funded by the Statewide Health Improvement Partnership, which is a program that is funded by the state legislature here in Minnesota to improve the health of all Minnesotans. This project started in 2017 and was spearheaded by Teresa Ambrose. So I just wanted to say we couldn't have done this without her. And one thing that she saw in the literature was that grocery stores in less populated areas in Minnesota were decreasing, which is a concern, especially in these less populated areas, because fewer grocery stores means less access to healthy food and beverages. Additionally, our team spoke with the team who implemented and studied the impact of the Minneapolis Staple Food Ordinance, which was an ordinance that passed in the city of Minneapolis with the goal of increasing healthy options at small food retail stores. 
The folks we talked with included Dr. Melissa Laska at the University of Minnesota, and then also Kristen Klingler at the City of Minneapolis Health Department. Additionally, through a convenient sample of 180 small food retail stores throughout Minnesota, such as convenience stores, we found that about 80% of these stores did not have at least 30 pounds of fresh canned or frozen produce available for purchase at the time that we did the assessment. And if you think about it, 30 pounds isn't very much produce. So 30 pounds could be three five-pound bags of potatoes, four two-pound bags of carrots, 12 apples, 12 bananas, and about three to four tomatoes. So not really enough to feed a community. So in terms of developing the Good Food Soul Here project, the concept was that the Minnesota Department of Health would provide technical assistance and resources and support to local public health agencies throughout Minnesota. And then the local public health agencies would then provide technical assistance to the stores. And all of this technical assistance was around product placement and promoting healthy items to increase efforts to increase healthy options at the stores. So what I'm hearing is that we've got fewer stores and in these few stores that we do have, they have even fewer healthy options. And we're measuring that in terms of not seeing much produce on the shelves, even if they do have some. And so the solution here, at least one of them is to provide this technical assistance, but what is technical assistance? Yeah, that's a great question. So technical assistance is a process of providing targeted support to an organization in a specific area to assist the organization to help reach their goal. So the goal here is increasing healthy options. And so in this pilot study, we provided technical assistance around stocking, promoting, and placing healthy items in stores. And we focused on using the four Ps of marketing. And like I previously mentioned, our pilot study had two levels of technical assistance. First, the state public health department provided technical assistance to local public health agencies through things like peer learning webinars, individual check-in calls, and sharing resources. For example, we at the state shared resources about how the store owner can identify healthy options when selecting food from a vendor. And then we hosted a call for local public health to talk about this resource to share how it actually worked on the ground while working with stores. And then together, local public health with the state collaboratively problem-solved issues that emerged through that call. And so that's kind of the background of developing that technical assistance idea and program. But Alex, how did this work for you? You were on the ground. So as a local public health practitioner providing this technical assistance to the store managers. Right. So after we received information from Minnesota Department of Health, as Leanna described, We then started by identifying store managers who might be interested in participating. So that meant some mapping to determine a couple things. One, where the area of highest need and lowest access to grocery stores were in the county. And two, a list of eligible stores that met the requirements. We identified about five that met those marks and then approached each. Ultimately, there were three stores that were interested in partnering with us. And it was important to highlight the assistance that we'd be able to give the store because owners are so often pulled in multiple competing directions. Not only were we able to provide individual or an initial training about stocking standards, behavioral economics, promotional materials like signs and nudging tools, but also discuss the positive fiscal benefits to the store in addition to the potential health benefits for customers. We also provided 
really nice promotional signage, which appealed to owners to catch customers' eyes. One thing we heard a lot was it wasn't economical for owners to use big distributors to bring in produce because there are minimum requirements. This was a difficult element of the food system, and we were working to find solutions to the sourcing issues so small stores wouldn't need to meet those unreasonable minimums that they couldn't afford and didn't need. Store owners were also concerned about waste. For example, the bananas going bad before people buy them. We encouraged store owners to start small so they wouldn't have to absorb so much fiscal or environmental risk. When they saw that a certain fruit was a hit, they increased their stock. And additionally, we were able to support pre and post evaluation of the efforts along with customer interviews to give them some concrete outcomes and rationales for continued implementation. I should also mention that our ability to do this was supported by the Statewide Health Improvement Partnership, or SHIP, as Leanna had described, which is a statewide grant funded by the Minnesota Department of Health and administered by Dakota County. This is how we were connected to Leanna and the state team offering the technical assistance to try this in our community. That is so exciting to hear how that actually played out and the importance of meeting the community where they are as you're talking about this transparency and what you can actually provide. And then also thinking about building the community within the community of combining these smaller grocers so that they can make partnerships to meet the order requirements, those minimum ordering requirements, and then also having this evaluation piece so that you can actually show whether or not it was successful. And so it's such an interesting model that you have set up because typically health departments are seen as regulatory agents of food retail spaces. That's right, Arden. This pilot study was also to help shift the perception that health departments only function is to regulate the food retail space and tell them what they're doing wrong. I think this study really highlights that public health can be a supportive, helpful partner to food retailers in assisting them to modify their store to stock and sell more healthy options. I think one asset that local public health can bring into the space is that public health is well-versed in the research and evidence of improving community health. Public health practitioners can bring this evidence-based knowledge to store retailers and then work with the store owner to adapt what has been found in the research to best fit their situation. And I want to highlight here that this is a collaborative effort and not a top-down regulation, but rather is instead an approach where public health practitioners can actively listen to what store owners need and then co-create an action plan together on how to increase the healthy options in their community and specific to their community. One element that was critical to this change was an education piece for store owners who ultimately trained their employees in stocking standards. This meant going over nutrition labels so store owners could understand how to determine what had, for example, less than 200 milligrams of sodium per serving or a beverage that was truly unsweetened or other requirements to be highlighted products on the shelves. Oftentimes, corporations that stocked beverages or other food products would showcase, quote unquote, healthy snacks that didn't meet any of the requirements. The store owners learned that they couldn't rely on a product that simply looked healthy to achieve those requirements. Additionally, we learned that staff are often rushed to restock, and sometimes the product with the highlighted good food flag was actually a box of something that didn't meet the requirements. It had gotten shifted around in the bustle of restocking. 
This is why training the store owners and managers was so critical because they were ultimately the ones who could identify these issues and correct them in real time. One exciting outcome that we hadn't anticipated was two of our stores were able to use the pilot project and evaluation success to apply for larger scale infrastructure grants to support better ability to stock more fruits and vegetables, protein perishables, and whole grains. In one case, this was a fridge and freezer space. And in another, it was an open fridge and an actual remodel that doubled the size of the store. It was over $40,000 worth of grant money. And needless to say, the store owners were thrilled that a pilot project and data we had helped them collect furthered these goals. That is a truly amazing outcome from all of this. I'm hearing that we're redefining public health departments so that folks really understand that we can build these bridges and co-create ideas of how we can solve these problems. And then also the outcome of this of empowering these grocers to apply and then actually receive these grants is fantastic. And a small side note, I even worked in a grocery store previously. And so I know this kind of rush behind the scenes. And so I think it's really amazing and awesome to see how this really works behind the scenes and how public health departments can empower and help folks along the way and help them decide what makes the most sense for their businesses. And so given all that information, what are some of the next steps for local public health to act on this work? Where do we take it? Question, Arden. You first want to assess where the biggest need for affordable, nutritious food is in your community. And that starts with understanding where people have access to healthy food already. So that might be other markets or grocery stores, for example. You could also assess areas where data shows that there are lower percentages of car owners. And perhaps most importantly, you need to assess a store's readiness and interest to dive into a project like this and commit the time, education, and physical changes that may need to take place in order to be successful and sustainable. Your most powerful partner in this work is the store owner who is invested and knows the community they serve. Yeah, that is great, Alex. And I'll add on just a couple more things. I also just wanna highlight a next step for public health practitioners is to really go out into the community that you serve and see what the community wants and where you can have increased availability for healthy options. In addition to this, I will say one thing that we found in our pilot study is that an easy place to start with the store is thinking about increasing healthy options at the checkout. We found that stores had the easiest time with increasing healthy options at the checkout as we found that on average, stores are able to increase healthy options at the checkout about two items during the pilot study. Also, you can start exploring what policies and regulations may be contributing to or preventing store owners from increasing their healthy options. Like Alex mentioned, in Minnesota, there's an infrastructure grant that allowed stores to update their equipment, such as getting a new fridge to hold more produce. So having grants like this can help support increasing healthy food access and public health practitioners who are aware of these grants can help stores apply for this grant money. Overall, I would like to say, just get curious and ask questions about why things operate in the way they do, and you may find that there are some easy solutions, or you may find that you need to continue to ask questions to figure out what the root causes of a barrier, and then figure out what other sectors to work with so you can address the question and the barrier and overcome it in the long term. I love this approach. I'm 
thinking about how we're identifying assets and then identifying the readiness of the community. But then importantly, it's establishing these relationships because then you go back into the community, we are reassessing what the community desires, identifying these policies and regulations, and then asking why over and over and over again until we find these root causes. And so I think it's such a fascinating and important way that we bring transparency around how public health can work to support and lift up the community in their efforts to achieve the health that they know that they already want, but actually building those bridges between the public health practitioners and the community. So truly amazing work and really, really exciting. I'll just open up the floor one more time in case either of you have any closing thoughts that you want to share. I think one thing that I'll add, Arden, that you had mentioned, I think the core of this work is really relationship building and getting to know your community. So yeah, I think that's just really important. Build relationships and see where that goes. I completely agree. Arden, thank you for having us today. This was fun. Of course, it was such a pleasure. Thank you both so much for your time, your knowledge, your expertise on this topic and your work in making this happen. It is really fantastic and what an exciting pilot. I can't wait to see where it goes from here. So thank you so much and take care. Thanks, Arden. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.